0: Welcome once again to another episode of the Harry Potter Book Club. I'm Trevor. I'm Alex. I'm Matt.
1: I'm Crystal.
2: I'm Vera. And I'm Sylvia. And we've also got Jack in the background eating some food, making some noises to contribute tonight.
0: As always, you know, the point of this is to uh, have our listeners join uh, a simple conversation with friends around a great book. Uh, and with a baby in the background, you really do get the down-home feel of what we're up to here. Um, we're glad to be back with you after a long summer break. I remember one of our members suggesting that we would probably be able to get together more often. Who
3: shall remain nameless.
0: Who shall remain nameless. <laughs> it was Vera. Um Over the summer months, but uh, that didn't happen. There was lots of travel, being with family, vacations to exotic places. But we're back now and hope to be with you with far greater regularity in the coming months. Well, friends, let's not waste any time. Let's jump straight in to Chapter 11, Quidditch. And Vera, right before we started, you said that right off the bat, there was something that bothered
3: you. It's a little thing. It's a little thing. But we, okay, so in the first paragraph, they're talking about how it's November, the weather is very cold... The mountains are covered in snow and all of this. There's lots of frost. And Hagrid can be seen from the upstairs windows defrosting broomsticks on the Quidditch field. Which bothers me because there is a locker room. And why are the broomsticks
4: just out? It would seem a locker is a... Appropriately sized thing in which to put a, a broomstick, broomstick,
3: which are very expensive and, and personally owned. Right, they're not provided by they're, the school. Right, they're private broomsticks. Yeah. Mm. So I don't know. That bothered me a little bit. I don't know if it bothered anybody else.
1: It didn't cross my mind. Yeah. Honestly, I passed yeah. right over. It
4: seemed yeah.
3: like something Hagrid shouldn't have to deal with.
4: Mm. Yeah. But then again, we all know that the school likes giving Hagrid stuff to do. Yeah, he does a lot so of busy work. Perhaps leaving them out is a way of giving him frosted. more stuff
1: to do. Also, they might be school brooms because, like, Harry's broom is with him. Yeah. And upstairs, Right, generally. in the common room, yeah. So or they in might be school brooms. Maybe kids left them out. Yeah, they I do have
3: do some old, cheap, like, clean well, sweeps and stuff that to... They have the ones
5: to. that the first years... <laughs> they have ones that the first years were, you know, riding for practice. Right, and right. Yeah, they, they tilt to the left, yeah. you know. And Maybe then, it's you know, just old and, and things like that, yeah.
3: To keep in like a sad little broom shed that has no
0: insulation or something. Yeah. Mm. We're working really hard to make sense of that detail. The, the <laughs> part true. of the first chapter, or excuse me, the first paragraph that m- made me uh, think twice was that it's November and we're just now having the first Quidditch match mm-hmm. of the entire year. Yeah. And I thought, man, that seems awfully late. And uh, unless. You guys know off the top of your head. Uh, Maybe we'll just have to keep a lookout in upcoming books if that's a detail that remains consistent. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, in high school sports in America, you've got a number of seasons that, you know, happen at different parts of the year and sometimes they overlap. But in the wizarding world, you've got, I, I suppose, like the Wizarding Chess Club and Quidditch. And so you would think that the Quidditch um, season would begin earlier in the semester. Definitely. Additionally, because Quidditch is
4: played high in the air, where it'd be much colder than playing on the ground because of the wind speeds you're dealing with, the effect of having the, the Quidditch games begin in November would mean mm. you're playing in Dramatically colder temperatures than if Quidditch began its season in August or September,
0: yep. and we're talking about the UK, also true. Right, which is going to be wetter Wet. and colder mm-hmm. than where we find ourselves here in the nice, cozy uh, southern United States. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: yeah. I I do think it is it is convenient um, because Harry is a first year. And he's on the team, and so he's having to learn the whole game from scratch. So he gets a couple months of practice. But we know that's an exception to the rule. Mm -hmm. And generally, the team, um, even if they've got new members that are just joining, they don't need like two months to prepare.
0: It's also helpful from a plot development standpoint that we can progress to November. We can have all sorts of other details mm-hmm. being introduced in this chapter that is at least ostensibly, you know, on the surface about the first Quidditch match. Right. And so by having it later in the year, you get to introduce all of these fun things at a later point in the book without ending up with a totally front-loaded story where all of your introductory details are happening in the first month of year one at Hogwarts. And then you have to end up hitting pause on plot development until all of those surprising details um, are introduced. But I want to say another uh, detail that caught my eye was that we're told if Gryffindor won, they would move up into second place in the house championship. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I've never been quite clear on is how exactly Quidditch plays into the house points standings. I remember in a later book, we're told towards the end of the year that if Gryffindor wins a Quidditch match by at least 50 points, then they move up into first place. So it seems like margin of victory helps boost you in the standings. But I'm curious, is that a detail we're ever given? Or do you, do you guys have But we're talking ideas? about
3: two separate things, right? So there's the the house cup and then there's the Quidditch cup.
0: This says second place in the house championship. It and this does. Is the
1: first, this is the first Quidditch match, so they can't be moving up in the Quidditch championship. Well, I just assumed, I guess, that... That
3: there's, like, say intra-year rankings? First, well, it says his first match. So it, it felt to me as though Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff had already played and one of them had won.
0: Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure. I would just expect... I need Joe to tell me. ...rolling to say Mm -hmm. second place in the Quidditch Cup standings.
3: Right, but it does say House Championship. Yes, and... I do uh, not know how that works. Like I said,
0: I'm pretty sure in a later book, House Cup standings are in the balance um, depending on how much Gryffindor beats a team in their final Quidditch match.
1: Indeed, I didn't the,
0: notice that before.
1: And at the end of this book, when Harry is caught out of bed, he loses points and offers to resign from the team. And Wood says, "Well, how will we ever gain points back if you don't play?" So, so
3: they're getting points for playing Quidditch well. That's wait. Really so you could
4: like hmm. sp-
3: I miss that cheat, make other how, mistakes. How many times I've read these books, I've missed that every time.
4: And playing sports well could annul the. Moral or ethical mistakes. Well, that's that you
3: good make for Harry. Just he's a huge yeah. rule breaker. And, yeah. and he's In great case, at Quidditch. It is
0: totally realistic. <laughs> 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 yeah. look at any collegiate or pro-swimming. Yeah, you're saying, had a you're saying about that, that special yeah. treatment may be Absolutely. given to athletes? I'm not saying special treatment. I'm saying it's built into oh, the really? points policies. It would make sense if, if I were hypothesizing about it. That uh, margin of victory would maybe give uh, a house a certain amount of points in the house cup standings um, so if if I were making the rules you hmm. know if you beat a team by 60 points you go plus 60 <laughs> in house cup standings um, but it's so
3: easy to do that if you catch the snitch I feel like it's got to be a bigger margin I don't know I don't know she has a plan I'm sure.
0: Yeah. But I'm not sure that it's ever revealed. Right. And it's a I detail so. that for, I mean, what are we going on, 15, more than that. Over 15 years now, I've been like, how in the world does this work out? Like, yeah. I need I need the math yeah. on the page. Well, maybe if we, it's if we surprising collect how many math the... questions we have about Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah.
4: If we collect all these yeah. through over the next seven books, we can... Derive the formula that you uh,
3: require. Um,
4: speaking of derivations, um, one thing that I definitely thought of when um, the chapter title, when I re- reread the chapter title this past week, was where the name Quidditch comes from. And according to Quidditch Through the Ages, which we take as authoritative on this, of course, um, Queerditch Marsh was the location of the first recorded Quidditch game. And that is where the the name of the game was derived. So I found that a very interesting detail. Um, mm. Makes sense, I think, especially because it, you know then you'd have something soft to land on. Earlier in the early phases of the game, mm. if you're zooming around on a broomstick, at least you got marsh, not like normal Scottish Highlands, <laughs> rocky moors to deal with.
5: Yeah.
2: It's true, although still unpleasant to fall into a marsh. I mean,
0: <laughs> there's a safe. lot of unpleasant stuff in Quidditch through the ages. You you hear about the early wizarding sports where uh, the balls are made out of rocks, so being hit with a bludger does yeah. a whole lot of damage in that case. And they
5: also talk about it, you know, Harry um, reads the book and he says it's actually quite interesting, and one thing that struck me in that is that uh, no one's safe, even the referees have been known to vanish and turn up months later in the Sahara Desert. I mean, I don't know exactly how that happens.
0: Well, anytime you're playing sports where every member of the team is carrying their wand... I suppose you're in danger of all
5: sorts of things. I guess so.
0: Mm.
1: So one thing that I picked up on here was the sentence that says, it was really lucky that Harry now had Hermione as a friend. (laughs) I thought that that was really interesting for a couple of different reasons. Um, Number one, he's on a team currently with playing Quidditch. So I thought that this was a cool chapter to bring it up in because Hermione's sort of like part of his team, which I thought was kind of fun. Um, He's kind of gaining... Friends and followers, which of course, for for Hermione especially, this is like foreshadowing because mm-hmm. time and time again, he's going to count himself lucky that Hermione is his friend. Like she saves him multiple times. But I sort of connected it a little to. Uh, this might be going kind of crazy here, but um, thinking of would Harry have picked Ron and Hermione as friends had Voldemort not you know sought out his and killed them so like in Ron he finds you know a family that he never had and in Hermione he finds like this sister sort of figure and maybe he wouldn't have been as apt to befriend someone who is of her blood status we don't we don't really know um but anyway I thought of it um with the prophecy where the yeah. dark lord marks Harry as his equal he gives Harry supporters and followers like he himself has And I thought that that was kind of a cool connection, sort of. What do you all think of that? Like, he marks himself as his equal in multiple ways. But one of the ways is he maybe puts him in this position to have this friend who maybe he wouldn't have had otherwise, Mm. who's one of his major supporters throughout the entire series. She saves him countless times. It's probably a stretch, but I, I thought it was kind of cool.
2: It's
4: yeah. a very interesting point.
1: Uh-huh. I've never thought about it, yeah. so we, processing.
0: We've, we've said in an earlier episode that Harry is the anti-Voldemort. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, again, gives us a theme to keep an eye out for. How is it that not only is Harry this uh, anti Dark Lord figure, but how does the Dark Lord's targeting of Harry make him into this equal but opposite sort of figure, and how does Rowling play that up? Because even though Harry has followers, I think you you could say, I'd be okay with that, um, he treats them mm-hmm. remarkably differently. Um, so yeah, they're similar, and yet polar opposites at the same time and
3: these people that are his followers are all these misfits like a muggle born mm-hmm. and a blood trader that Voldemort would never have you know consorted with but
0: well you look at like who is the squad I think of like book five that goes to the ministry of magic uh-huh. together it's Neville mm-hmm. Luna mm-hmm. Ron Hermione Harry? I mean
3: a bunch of weirdos and Jenny. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean these aren't death <laughs> disproportionately ginger. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> these aren't these aren't death eater material kinds of people. Um yeah, that's that's actually that's a really beautiful sort of detail that we can follow up on. Sort of side
4: question. Is there a single known Death Eater who is also a ginger? Mm. I don't believe so.
3: Contrary to popular belief, gingers do have souls, and they're really hard to turn, it turns out.
4: (laughs) Just putting that out there.
5: Interesting to point out.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I'm so glad we did. <laughs> <laughs> but back to
2: Crystal's point, is, is wonderful. And as much as I... There's probably a lot more to say on that. Um, I did think um, there is something... We've talked about this before. To his being orphaned by Voldemort gave him a humility that he wouldn't necessarily otherwise have had. Uh, Jack. Jack, he agrees with me. Um, but, like, if you look at, you know, in the flashbacks, James is fairly, like... Uh, cocky and self-assured and popular and there's no the, we do emulate our parents and I think there is reason to think that um, Harry is humbler um, and he might have been like the coolest kid around and maybe just friends with Seamus and I don't know you know a ladies man or who knows what he could have been if not, so I, I agree with your point. I think there's something well,
5: to that. I think we all see that, you know, this friendship that really, I mean, kicked off in, uh, I guess, the last chapter with the troll. You know, it says that they really became, you know, I mean, just lifelong friends at that moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's already starting to pay dividends. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, and right now, these are just little ones, you know, in school, but you've got Harry and Ron both getting help from. Hermione with homework and, you know, she makes them do it themselves, you know, because how else are they going to learn? But then you also see that Hermione uh, also benefits from this relationship because she becomes more relaxed and, uh, and it says that she was much nicer for it. So you mm-hmm. see, you know, this mutual uh, benefiting going on uh, from this group, you know, the main core group in Harry Potter.
0: Can we just hit the pause button? Matt and get the story on your book because I'm looking right here at a page that looks like it's been cut to pieces I'm wondering if that turned into a scrapbook um,
1: I would like to tell this story Crystal. because it's my book <laughs> and okay so I got this book at Goodwill and I picked my favorite chapter headings and cut them out and mod podged them onto glasses Coasters and turn them into Harry Potter coasters, and so Matt can't find his original Harry Potter book, so he used the one that I cut the headings out of. So I used Quidditch and the Mirror of Erised and a couple of my other favorites, and they're cool coasters. So, he was just—he was flipping pages, and
0: all of a sudden, I, I see half of a page <laughs> <laughs> turn.
5: It's <laughs> been—it's
3: been through a lot
2: with yeah. him.
5: This <laughs> is what I'm working with. Yeah.
0: yeah, this is why some of his. You know, analysis may be only, like, halfway <laughs> it's, it's, it's there. Half tap body. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the, the details we quickly get um, is that it's the day before Harry's first match and they see Snape crossing the yard toward them. And we're told that Snape is limping.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I would argue that um, this chapter named Quidditch... Actually, isn't really about Quidditch at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quidditch is happening in the background. It's fun. It's exciting. It's it's an opportunity for humor to be injected into the story. But this is a this is a chapter about Severus Snape and what uh, Ron, Harry, and Hermione are finding out about
1: him. Yeah, and this is Rowling doing what you always talk about, Trevor, where she like hides important features behind like whimsical fun exciting things mm. so that you almost don't pick up on them mm-hmm. so why do you all think he acts so suspicious in this chapter i kept thinking about that like you know when he even approaches them and takes the book from harry outside like why does he act so suspicious I mean, he
3: just hates harry yeah. i honestly think that's all that's behind it he was just looking for something to get harry in trouble for and even though they were actually breaking a rule, right, because Hermione had done some kind of charm that they weren't sure if that was okay. And then he just had a library book, so Snape took the library
0: book. Yeah. Well the the detail that got me there was Snape says, Give it to me. Five points from Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking Harry got five points for knocking out a mountain troll. Yeah. <laughs> the point system like, is terrible. Way off. Like there went his act of heroism yeah. over a library book taken outside of the building. Now, there's something fundamentally unjust about this. <laughs> but but uh, Harry and Ron start processing this detail. and They say, okay, well, it, Snape was limping. You know what this means. He tried to get past that three-headed dog at Halloween. That's where he was going when we saw him. He's... After whatever it's guarding, and I bet my broomstick, he let that troll in to make a diversion. So, here we've got um, the the boys offering their theory of what all of this evidence means. I find it interesting, though. They're convinced that Snape let in the troll to make a diversion, and this conversation is actually Rowling's diversion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Part of what this chapter is doing is convincing us that Harry and Ron are right about Snape because all of the data, all of these occurrences start piling up together and their cumulative effect is they have to be right. Snape must be up to no good. He's got to be like this ultimate villain in the story that we're supposed to sort of make our, our target. But Rowling is just, she's really diverting our attention. And she's doing it in a really convincing way um although, as I was reading and going through all of the details, uh, the one thing that I kept thinking was the seasoned reader knows that any time in a good story a fundamental detail appears certain you're wrong mm-hmm. yeah and that's that's really the only i think clue we're given that. Our expectations need to change. We need to withhold judgment. Um, But you know what? She's done such a good job, especially in the Quidditch chapter, of getting us into the story, of following Ron and Harry's emotional trajectory and the conclusions that they're drawing, so that we're just nodding along like, yeah, Snape must be bad. I can't entertain any other possibility.
3: One thing I'm just sort of noticing is the setup of Filch as Snape's kind of co conspirator mm. and how that sort of adds to us hating Snape because we already hate Filch. He's this creepy old caretaker and he's always spoiling Harry's fun of being out after hours. And he loves getting the kids in trouble. So we already hate Filch. He's in league with Snape. Great. They're definitely evil. And then we'll have these episodes of Snape seemingly picking on Coral, who we believe to be really innocent and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, pathetic.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and so it's just sort of this natural combination where we assume we understand the situation, even though it's not yep. what it seems.
0: She's almost using what we love about Harry, what we were just talking about, that Harry is, by and large, good to the misfits. And she turns that on its head to make us despise Snape. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he's um, pushing against, antagonizing Quirrell in all of these various ways, are, we're, we are primed to think the worst right. of that scenario. Yeah, that's really Almost helpful.
3: until the end when we see Snape as the misfit.
0: You mean the end of the canon yeah. period? Yeah. Yeah.
3: I just blew Alex's mind. (laughs) You're right. Yeah. Okay.
0: I heard his synapses go out just like that. (laughs) It was like a a crackle and a sizzle.
1: This is a very small detail, but I love the way her writing starts to, like when, when Harry is speaking at least, it starts to reflect his, Integration into the wizarding world. Like he says, I bet my broomstick. Mm-hmm. He starts to take like mm-hmm. common phrases and turn them into, I don't know, fun, magical things. Like mm-hmm. at one point she says, you know, with the force of a stampeding troll and I, or, you know, I wouldn't come near you with a 10 foot broomstick. Little things like that that just show his integration into mm-hmm. the magical world. Don't take long. Just a couple of months.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I also love
3: this episode um It's the morning of the first Quidditch match, and Hermione is trying to get Harry to eat breakfast, just eat anything. And just how she has kind of this sisterly or motherly um, relationship with him so early on. She's always doing that to both of the boys, trying to get them to take care of themselves and, and, you know, do your homework. Did you do your homework? You know, it's just it's really sweet the way she takes care of them. And they need it. They are so
1: rough. (laughs) Which spoiler alert is so um, you know symbolic of like the way Mrs. Weasley takes care of them too, mm-hmm. and kind of shows why Ron he you know mm-hmm. he's so pampered and coddled yeah. like he needs that, and you know a wife and <laughs> Hermione has definitely got that down. Yeah,
0: she's also got the rough edges that mm-hmm. Molly Weasley does because Miss Weasley takes care of people you know beautifully, but she's not a pushover. Yeah. No. No she speaks her mind and and hermione does as well
1: one thing i noticed as well that i i went back to the chapter in the sorting hat this this little episode that you're talking about vera where harry's like so um nervous that he can't eat i thought that it's sort of like it's the last bit of what the sorting hat described him as and like the sorting hat when he puts it on he says plenty of courage I see not a bad mind either there's talent and a thirst to prove yourself so we've seen his courage like when he took out the mountain troll and then we see his mind it's not it's not bad it's not super impressive (laughs) but he's doing okay in his classes and here's this thirst to prove himself like Mm -hmm. he's living into that he wants to do well at quidditch because you know it's not because he's harry potter that he's good at this you know he didn't he didn't just inherit this thing it's he's just really good at quidditch so it's something he can prove himself in. it's
5: also something his father Mm -hmm. um I mean, was was good at. I mean, he was part of the team. He was a seeker, so it's something that he almost feels like this is a family heritage. This is something I can connect with my past with.
0: Yeah. We move into the Quidditch match itself, and there there are just details here and there that I love about this chapter. Uh, one of them being Lee Jordan announcing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this ongoing thing throughout the books where he says something inappropriate and McGonagall is mm-hmm. right at his shoulder <laughs> yelling, and we hear these interjections. And I can't help but hear Jim Dale doing his Professor McGonagall voice in the audiobook yeah. recordings because they're just, they're hysterical. Um, you know, by the end, you. you you don't need as many details, um, you know, in Book Four to know what's happening in a Quidditch match, um, as you do in Book One. Um, but the interjections are always a touch of humor that make it a delightful sort of account, um, something that keeps your attention. You you always wonder how, not only what is happening, but how is Lee Jordan going to describe what mm-hmm. is happening. <laughs>
1: I love the camaraderie, too, of the Gryffindors. Like, to me, this is yeah. just a very humanistic sort of picture. Like, when we go to sporting events and we take signs, I've done that for teams that I love. Like, them making this Potter for President sign on the sheet that Scabbers ruined. That's just really human, I think, and shows his little band of followers or whatever we want to call them, supporters, friends. I did mm-hmm.
4: find that a little confusing because I don't, mean, they don't
0: have a president. Oh, no. great. Oh,
5: right. Really. Well, I mean, we just
0: like Maybe student council
1: president. Uh,
4: do, <laughs> do, do we hear about that
5: pres- do they call position? It student
1: council prime mean... minister. Well,
4: <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember that being in the story. I know they discuss there being the, you know, the the head of the ministry, right? Like he's the big guy mm-hmm. in the, the Harry Potter world. Um, they don't seem to have that much attachment to the. The, the muggle prime minister muggle prime minister we hear about um him. he's vaguely referenced but obviously the uk doesn't have a president um, their head of state is queen elizabeth and there's never any um indication that there's any allegiance to the queen in the harry potter world um so i that struck me just as a little bit sort of out of place. It's
3: just a sweet thing to say, I think. Like, later, when they say Weasley is our king. And the alliteration is nice. Yeah, Potter for president. It sounds nice. Potter Potter for prime Prime minister.
2: Minister. (laughs) Also has
3: (laughs) peas. I don't know.
4: I I don't know what they usually say in the UK. Maybe that's a thing, but it just seems strange to me. Um, At least Weasley is our king, like... They actually do have a king in the U. I I mean, they have had kings in the U.K. They currently have a king. Yeah. But they might someday soon. Um, any day now, possibly. Um, so. Anyway,
3: anyway. this um, this setup, I think we've been talking about uh, Harry having this sort of band of merry followers behind him. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like is really starting to become apparent. Because um, we see on 185 sort of towards the bottom. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw the fluttering banner high above, flashing Potter for president over the crowd. His heart skipped and he felt braver. So I think it's just sort of indicative of pretty much the whole canon. He's always got this band of followers, even if they're not with him doing what he's doing. Like none of them are on the field, none of them are playing with him, but he feels their support. Um, And so even though he has to go alone, into all these dangerous situations. He's always got that kind of foundation behind him.
1: Yeah.
2: I think something, this is sort of skipping to the middle and the end of um, this Quidditch match. We keep talking about how Hogwarts isn't safe. Um, and it is a little bit baffling that it has to be Hermione who goes into action oh and like saves Harry. That well, drives we've me got crazy. All of these really well qualified professors <laughs> sitting out there, and one
3: that's on a broomstick mm-hmm. refereeing.
2: And yet everybody's just sort of la de da. Oh, wonder what's going on with Harry's broom. Oh, okay, to <laughs> do. You know, going about their business. Like that's curious and and here it takes
3: hermione yeah. a first year and it's gotten to the point to the and it's not like this in the movie so i'd forgotten it but it's gotten to the point in the books where the whole of the gryffindor team has stopped playing and is flying underneath harry to catch him and teachers don't get involved
0: yeah and it's not as if hermione is even the most qualified student she she has to say at the end i know a jinx when i see one hagrid Not because I've experienced the jinx, but I've read all about them. Mm -hmm. Like, that's that's the standard for me. Well-versed in, you know, the kind of magic that Harry was confronting here. Uh, So it, again, it's like in the sweep of the plot development. Nice. Yeah, we believe, oh, Hermione's able to recognize this. Of course she is. She's read the whole library. But then you kind of sit back and think, like, Hermione knows nothing compared to 95% of the people who are at this match.
5: Well, and even though she knows it, she still gets it wrong. She thinks that Snape is the one doing it. We find out, of course, later, spoiler alert, that it is not Snape. Snape's actually trying to save Harry. Um, and it's only by accident. Yeah. Right,
3: which we see that. She throws that in. Let me find it. Yeah.
5: Again, it's one of those little plot one points one where one. she just yeah. easily slips it in, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't notice she, it until She the didn't end. even
3: stop to say sorry as she knocked Professor Quirrell headfirst into the row in front, and then she reaches Snape. So we hear her accidentally stop Quarrel while yep. she's trying to stop Snape.
0: What, what's interesting, though, is... She knocks Quirrell down, then um, hexes Snape's robes, and then we're told it took perhaps 30 seconds for Snape to realize he was on fire. And then, up in the air, Harry is suddenly able to clamber back on his broom. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I'm not sure if there's an inconsistency there, but Quirrell is knocked down. He breaks eye contact. His jinx should be over. Then she sets fire to Snape. Thirty seconds later, Snape realizes he's on fire, and Harry regains control.
3: Maybe it's just a little bit of the hex left over, you know?
0: It's possible. It's still working. It's possible, but it. as I'm reading, I'm like, okay, that's a, a convenient detail uh-huh. to sort of knock us off the scent right. that maybe not everything is as it seems. And I think it's interesting that in the movies, that's not the way it plays out.
3: Yeah, it's all very simultaneous. It's simultaneous.
0: Really? And... Uh, maybe a little bit too in-your-face and obvious. Uh-huh. You know, they weren't very subtle in the film, but at least the timing seemed to match up a little bit better.
3: One other thing that I think is kind of funny is, so she, she sets these little blue flames on Snape, she hears him yelp, and then she scoops them up <laughs> and takes them away, <laughs> like Snape is going to see a couple little hands come and take away the fire <laughs> when he just looked down and saw that he was on fire, you know? I just think that's a little weird. Well,
5: then they say that, oh, he's never going to know what happened. <laughs> right! Like, uh, well, her I just violin. saw Hermione
3: oh, run
0: away with a handful of flames, yeah. so... neatly we <laughs> remind you, Snape was a Death Eater. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure... Hard to get that past some, old Snape. ...having some hex fire and then literally scooping it up and putting it in a jar. Like, this yeah. isn't the most sophisticated thing He's ever been a part
3: of it. It works way better in the movie when it's just real flame and he stomps it out, you know? But this cute little blue flame that she makes and then picks up, (laughs) it's a little obvious, I think. She puts it in a
0: little jar, right?
3: I know, she carries it away with her.
1: I
0: laughed out loud at the very next line, though, when Ron says, Neville, you can look, because (laughs) Neville had been sobbing into Hagrid's jacket for the last five (laughs) minutes. I actually laughed out loud. Sweet Neville. At at that point, just the image of (laughs) poor Neville, so overcome with emotion and fear that uh, he can't bear to look and is weeping.
5: One (laughs) of my favorite parts of this whole characterization is just something really small, and it's talking about, I guess, the Slytherins, I guess, and their character in this whole moment, because as the Gryffindor team sees Harry up there, you know, getting ready to fall, they're circling around him, you see... Marcus Flint mm-hmm. sees the quaffle and scored five times without anyone Did noticing. they get those points? Did they I, they I don't notice? know. I mean, but they we get the final score. We're told that he scores, and I mean, it just kind of goes back to that. You see, Slytherin will do.
3: I think any, they got all those points. Yeah, they,
5: I'm, I'm assuming they did.
3: Which, uh,
5: they'll do anything to win. And They
3: got 60 points. We heard one goal announced by Lee Jordan and then they got all of those points while the players were trying to catch their hexed
4: yeah. teammate. No,
3: no timeout, yeah. no whistle. Matapooch was no. like, this is all legit. I'm just uh, going to let it which, play out.
5: It could, I, have, I been, it could have been Harry you know, faking it up there. Well, Who knows? I have a you know, question that. about the,
0: the actual okay. protocol of Quidditch. It has it been like a goes. while since I read Quidditch through the ages, yeah. um, and I'm not sure if this detail was there, but in soccer, um, or European football, after one team scores a goal, the other team is awarded possession and then has to kick off to begin the next round of play.
3: Mm. So how did he get all those goals in a row Right, if, it should have if been given to the other team?
0: It would seem that the Gryffindors would then be able to take it off at half pitch and begin the next cycle of play. And if they were all, you know, doing Ring Around the Rosie under Harry Potter, waiting for him to fall so they could catch him, nobody would be able to do that. You'd have a natural stoppage of play. Right. And again, the question, where is Madame Hooch? they got
3: all those points. Well, I, They got to keep them.
0: Yeah. Perhaps it's all in
4: the name. Perhaps the reason why Madame Hooch Come was on. not more involved in... <laughs> her job is due to a severe alcoholic issue. Um, Why they allow her on a a magical instrument that apparently can only be tampered with with dark magic and fly at unknown speeds and referee games, I I don't know. But we all know, as we referenced earlier, with um, how sometimes starring athletes are able to get away with a little bit more. At the same time, we also know that starring coaches or people that otherwise run sporting events are sometimes given a little bit extra leeway in mm-hmm. academic institutions. Um, perhaps uh, Miss Hooch's little problem is looked over <laughs> a little bit.
5: I'm going to go ahead and say no. No, but I do think that's a good bit to take away. The, the, you know, the rabbit hole. You really <laughs> went deep into that. You did. It was impressive. Um, I'll just... I follow the rabbit
4: hole until I reach the rabbit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just, Again, I think the irony of the fact that when we first meet Madam Hooch, she's described as having hawk eyes. Yeah. It's just mind-blowing. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's like, taking <laughs> she a smoke break down, down the
3: field.
0: anything. Like, the only time we hear about Madam Hooch is... Madam Hooch didn't see the yeah. obvious foul that nearly killed a Gryffindor.
1: Nice. Or she's sleeping while Harry and Ron are out fly, flying the Firebolt uh-huh. in book three. Yeah. Mm.
0: Again, rough. sleeping off. <laughs> <laughs> <The hooch.
2: laughs> I mean, we've got Trelawney. Maybe they have a little oh, partnership going on. I mean,
4: look, it's a serious issue for all human beings. And we see it in pretty much every single culture that has access to alcohol. I don't think we should be that surprised that we find it here, um, even in elite (laughs) educational institutions. I mean, Mm -hmm. educational institutions of the United States have been known for having some alcohol-related problems. Never
3: indicated that she has any sort of problem. She's just a terrible ref, and it's mostly just for plot points. You think think. it's
4: just being a terrible ref? There's
0: no other cause for her to
3: be giving us any other indications like that.
0: Mm -hmm. You have to make your own. Yeah, and I'm
3: sure you will. Um, so, the other thing that I thought was really interesting, as we've been talking about the different houses and how we're sort of set up to believe certain things about certain houses early, the Slytherins are dirty cheaters the whole time, and, and they, <laughs> they make a, Harry has a thought that Marcus Flint might have some troll blood, so they're all, like, ugly, nasty cheaters. <laughs> Um And I just, I wish there was one Slytherin who'd been like, Harry, are you okay? You know, but, but there's no world.
1: redemption. Yeah, yeah. Well, for the Slytherins. Is, but
3: just not
2: yet. He's, not yet.
1: He's defending Harry, and Harry just doesn't know it. Mm. That, that oh, oh. I was thinking of, um, book eight. But that yeah, he wasn't born I'm, there thinking, of Snape,
3: I'm
2: thinking of Snape,
1: who's on the benches defending he Harry. He is defending yeah. Harry. But, oh hmm. man, just...
0: But Snape is certainly trying to keep up Slytherin appearances. He's not making it easy to believe that there is some redemptive quality in Slytherin House. Speaking of, I had a conversation with a barista at Starbucks recently, and she was telling me her sister is a Slytherin, and and she said, but she's one of the good kind. And I just put down my pumpkin spice latte, and I said, excuse me, what kind of good Slytherin are we talking about? Like I granted, we've we've got, you know, Snape and of course we've got um
2: Slughorn, you could go. So out she
0: she said that. Slughorn, but then I went off on a diatribe in the middle of Starbucks about all of the issues in Slughorn's character and how he's Well nobody um, has a perfect a character. He's he's a coward. Right. And us. Sure. <laughs> he's he's he was even hesitant to To fight in the Battle of Hogwarts, yeah, like, I mean, that's that's really the test of metal. So we don't have to go off analyzing every Slytherin character, but for the record, what about Regulus Black?
1: Redemptive qualities, but still overall bad.
0: Hmm. I'll need to think about that one a little bit more, though. That, was that, that nice. one didn't come to mind. Nice. But yeah, good good Slytherins are few and far between if they in fact exist but
2: isn't scorpius a
3: slytherin
0: yeah but that's that's later
3: okay
0: that's way way later i mean
4: assuming there is a universal deciding mechanism that is the same throughout the whole period we're discussing that it being later or earlier shouldn't matter with regard to
0: the quality of the Slytherin. I will say, it's just interesting that we have to get to a book where there's a lot of discussion among Harry Potter superfans of whether it's actually part of the canon, where we get details that lead us to believe that Slytherins are not all dirty rat things. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) I'm sure we'll have plenty of opportunities to keep on discussing that later.
5: Well, we get to a important plot point. I mean, not necessarily here, but I mean in in later books where Harry actually does catch the snitch. And I think in the movie, he catches it with his mouth, which is important. We don't know that, but uh, he almost swallows it. And here, I was a little bit shocked, you know, because when I'm reading these over again, I kind of blend the movies and the, the books, you know... Uh, I guess with one another. They're just intertwined. And this just happens so quickly, whereas it's a big, drawn out, dramatic moment in Mm -hmm. the movies, you know, where, you know, he's standing on his broom and he's getting ready, he's reaching for it, and then boom, he he tumbles and catches it in his mouth. Here it's just he was speeding down to the ground and then he hit the ground on all fours and coughed it up, and boom, it was over.
0: Yeah. Almost like he didn't even. It's not even clear that he knew it was near him.
5: Yeah. Well, obviously, I mean, he sped toward the ground, so you would have to imagine that he saw it. But, I mean, maybe... Even there,
0: you're reading between the lines, though. Yeah. Like, could it be he's speeding toward the ground because he almost died up in the air? (laughs) And, oh, you know, a snitch just hit me in the teeth. Congratulations, (laughs) Congratulations, <laughs> Gryffindor.
2: And then boom, Haggard's cabin. There's no like yeah. Woo, celebration. Yeah, I
0: think just... I think you're definitely right. Although we could we could have a much larger conversation about why in the world in the films he's riding a broomstick <laughs> like a surfboard <laughs> to catch his first ever snitch. Obviously I mean, you don't
5: need to do that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so this is also Harry's first encounter with dark magic, other than his original, you know, fight with Voldemort right. too. Which I think is kind of important.
5: Well, you know, it's done to his broom, not necessarily to him. I mean, it is right. done to first you know, encounter with. You're, you're right. You're right. It's first encounter. And he he wins. He bests it thanks right. to Hermione. Again, Which is, again, foreshadowing. Again, pretty much. And evidence. Mm.
2: And what? And thanks to Snape. Yeah. yeah. Contribution.
0: Yeah. But that's interesting because even Harry later on, when people are uh, talking to him about Dumbledore's army and putting it together and they're saying all of these things that he's overcome in dark magic, Harry says, guys, it was never just me. Mm-hmm. So I think Harry would actually agree with you guys that there was always a, a very thick supporting cast of characters behind him helping him along the way.
1: I think, once again, too, here, like, at the end where Sylvia mentioned that he's having tea in Hagrid's cabin. Hagrid, to me, like, as much as I love his character, particularly that he's, like, this element of safety and sort of fun uncle with Harry. He's just, like, remarkably ignorant at times. And it's... it's I would say
3: lovable.
1: <laughs> lovable, for sure. Definitely.
3: Unfiltered.
1: But But at the same time, like, you know, he lets it slip about Nicholas Flamel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it just... Tells the kids the name of the
5: dog. I don't. He's not somebody you would want to tell a secret, no. you know, and entrust right. something so important.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the Sorcerer's like Stone, for instance, Stone. or Harry as a baby being taken from the rubble. And yet, Dumbledore yeah. does both of those things. He gives people a second yeah. chance. And third and fourth. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I think this is, especially in the first book, Hagrid is sort of just this... Um, he's a plot device for easy exposition mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. secrets that we otherwise wouldn't find out, mm-hmm. you know, like how are the kids going to know about Nicholas Flamel yep. only if Hagrid lets it slip. And now they know the name of the dog, which is not particularly helpful, but later they'll find out how to get past it from, ha- you know? And so he just, he's just giving them all these little tidbits because of who he is and how he has no filter. When otherwise, they would have no way. Like, they don't have their investigative skills yet. They haven't really built themselves up as the Scooby gang. (laughs) Um, So this is like, here, (laughs) have a clue. Um, I feel like that's Hagrid's function in this
1: book. He's sort of like, he's like the street smarts, yet has no book smarts sort of guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you would trust him, you know, down Nocturne Alley or something with you. You would trust him as a, you know, in replacement of like an Auror in one of the other books, in book six, I think. And yet this this obvious thing where Hermione sees Snape doing this and you know, I mean I know it wasn't Snape, but it appeared like it was Snape and he's like, no way. Just seems like he no. would heed.
5: but he was right.
0: He was well, right. He was right you're right. But, but again, there goes rolling, mixing it up on us mm-hmm. that you know we said, you know the seasoned reader of, of, of literature would expect that something that seemed like a sealed deal, had more under the surface. Hagrid is the, the one hint. He's the one speaking as the voice of reason, but it's shrouded under him acting like an oaf that can't keep a secret. Mm-hmm. Speaking of anybody with a hooch problem, Hagrid's is well documented throughout the canon. <laughs> He's known to hit the the, uh, the spirits mm-hmm. and disperse a number of key plot secrets. You know, throughout throughout the stories. Yeah. Um, but it's just interesting that Rowling hides um, his sensible confidence in Snape. His right judgment of Snape's character under two pages of, well, how do you know about Fluffy? Who's Fluffy? Oh, you know, I shouldn't have said that, you know. Well, that's between him and Nicholas Flamel. Oh, so Nicholas, you know what? You should stop <laughs> asking questions. Oh, but by the way, Snape's not wicked. Mm-hmm. You're 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 going down the wrong track there. Yeah. You know. He gives us one right detail right. out of that entire yeah. exchange.
1: It does kind of showcase to Hagrid's like blind trust of Dumbledore. I was Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it just shows, you know, Dumbledore trusts Snape, mm-hmm. so Hagrid does too, period. Mm-hmm. You won't hear a bad word against him. Yeah. Because we've heard Hagrid badmouth other teachers. It's not
3: that he implicitly trusts everybody. It's that he implicitly trusts Dumbledore, and Dumbledore has backed Snape. I really think that's a big part of it. There's no way Snape would do that.
0: That occurs in later books as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. He explicitly says that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the only detail we know about Nicholas Flamel, for the discerning reader who says, ah, that name looks familiar, you go back to page 103 uh, and you have uh, one sentence (laughs) um, from Dumbledore's Chocolate Frog uh, that says he's known for his work on alchemy with his partner Nicholas Flamel, Um, which, you know, if you're in the fifth grade and you don't have a dictionary beside you... You're probably not sure what alchemy is anyways, in which case, even if you did sort of catch that detail, it may not register all the way. But even that, when I think of medieval alchemy, I think about the pursuit of something that turns metals into gold. Mm -hmm. Not this other um, aspect of it that is going to be introduced later in the story. Well, this has been great It's been great Yeah, so we've got a chapter about Quidditch That's not really about Quidditch Mm -hmm. Uh, It's about all of these plot developments Particularly surrounding Professor Snape That brings us to the end of another episode Of the Harry Potter Book Club Next time we'll be on Chapter 12 The Mirror of Erised Which I'm going to go ahead and say Is one of my favorite chapters Mm -hmm. in the entire canon We look forward uh, to you joining us then Remember, in the meantime, you can always reach out to us at hpbcfanmail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you with your questions or comments. Uh, And if you get us thinking, uh, we'll even uh, throw in uh, your question or comment on an upcoming broadcast and talk about it with the gang. Until then, see you later. Bye. Bye.